Hello and welcome to Econo Day Unplugged. It's Tuesday, 15th of October, 2019. Mark Pender is across the pond on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, there's certainly lots going on at the moment and at least some of it has been positive for investors. Crucially, the US and China seem to have agreed, if not actually signed, a partial trade deal that should stop another escalation in the tariff war and financial markets certainly like that. The Fed has also provided some details of its plan to boost liquidity and expand its balance sheet, um, supposedly without recourse to quantitative easing. And if investors are still a bit unsure about how that one works out, at least we've now just about got back to a positive yield curve again. Also, out of the blue, a Brexit deal now seems at least possible, as opposed to looking, well, completely dead in the water just a few days ago. And of course, if that wasn't enough, the weekend saw an England victory in a 26th World Porridge Making Championship held in Scotland. So amongst this little lot, I guess the trade talks are still about as important as anything else. So Mark, from sort of yeah. your side, do yeah. you think these latest developments offer reason for optimism or should we still be very cautious? Well, we have to be very, uh, we have to be very cautious, of course. Uh, you know, these uh, uh, changes day to day, report by report, if you uh, just recall, there was a a Bloomberg report uh, just yesterday that uh, sent uh, the markets uh, wondering if it's going to happen at all, that China is going to uh, uh, issue some uh, or reissue some old demands. So, and it's just not China. It's, you know, there's a, uh, with all uh, the U.S. Uh, major trading partners, there's issues going on and it's happening all at once with Europe and uh, uh, included. So, uh, it's a hard one to keep track of, and how will they play out? Uh, will the you know U.S. impose the uh, remaining um, uh, the, uh, threatened tariffs uh, before year end across the board, or uh, how much of that will be pulled back? Uh, it's a you know it's a for right now what's happened as far as global trade goes is uh, to, you know flat lines for export growth. Uh, among uh, the major developed economies, flat lines for import growth generally. So uh, growth has pretty much come to a, a standstill as far as cross-border trade goes. And because it's happened together, you're not seeing a large impact on um, overall changes in uh, one country's surplus or one country's deficit if they tend to run one or the other because they're coming down together. So it's it's going to be a little bit mask in GDP where um, uh, trade is measured in change. So um, uh, it, it's a little bit of a, a background uh, factor it, that's not too apparent. That's a little elusive for the policymakers too to define, to get a hold of. Some of this data doesn't even include tariffs like U.S. import prices. They're excluded from the calculation, which is uh, which makes it very difficult <laughs> difficult to read, but the cons but at least they are included uh, uh, in the final consumer reading, and we just had uh, a very flat consumer uh, 0.1% rise in core CPI just last week, um, and that kind of goes along with the slowing we saw in average hourly earnings uh, the week before to 2.9%, which was very low. And um, we also had last week Jolt's report with job openings continuing to come down. So there is a sign that we may not be getting as much uh, in, uh, pressure on the wage side. Not that we've really very gotten very much, but we may even be getting a little less, which will make it harder for the Federal Reserve to meet their price goals 
Uh, core prices were kind of inching up toward the 2%. We'll see if they continue to inch up. They may just be uh, flattening out at the 1.7 area somewhere in there, in which case there'll be more rate cuts than, you know, be yeah, calls sure. for more rate cuts. Interesting. I don't know if, if you noticed, but um, the International Monetary Fund have just come out their updated global growth forecast. Well, I was like, looking for that. And what did they say about global um, so trade? I'm not sure see all the details yet, but for folks listening, um, they've downgraded their 2019 global GDP call to 3%. Now, that may not sound too bad, but we're talking about global growth here. So typically, you're expecting it to be 4.5% or more. So if this 3% we realize, that would be the slowest rate we've seen since the global financial crisis and it's and they're describing it as a, a synchronized slowdown prompted by rising trade barriers we've just been mm -hmm. talking about and uncertainty as well as low productivity growth in the rich world mm -hmm. what they also say of note i think is to quote them a notable feature of the sluggish growth in 2019 is the sharp and geographically broad-based slowdown in manufacturing and global trade right and they, on their calculations trade volume growth in the first half of 2019 is 1%, which would be the weakest since, uh, what, 2012. Mm -hmm. So it so, is flatlining. So, so very I much was, so, yeah. I was waiting to see a, you know, an aggregate number uh, uh, like that. But if you look at the major countries, it's all, all the graphs are going the same. And, uh, and that's hitting manufactured goods, the demand for goods, because that dominates trade. And if you need less of them because there's less you know, going yeah, this way and going that exactly. way. It's, and, and, of course, employment is going to be a lagging indicator it may be in this case so uh, th those in the manufacturing sectors and those companies that supply um, services or, or materials to, to, to manufacturers they're going to be um, hurting and and maybe we're seeing a little bit of it in the employment now you had a week not a weak employment report today out of the UK well how would you describe that it was a it was a mixed report. I think, to be honest, it's not so different from what you're saying in the sense that it's it's consistent with the idea of some kind of economic slowdown. I mean, all the UK economic statistics currently really have to come with a government health warning in the sense that because of these you know, unquantifiable Brexit effects, it really is very difficult to try and determine what's the underlying picture and you know what's just what what is just you know, statistical froth. But in terms of the actual report itself, we saw a fairly large increase in claimant unemployment the main index which the the market looks at the international labor office statistics that showed a, a surprise increase in unemployment rate this is to the three months to august how they have a look at it over here so i was up 3.9 percent from 3.8 percent which first time we'd really seen an increase in, in a little while on average earnings also slowed a little bit as well from 3.9 percent down to 3.8 percent so it's you know the kind of impression that those indicators which were looking relatively strong at the first half of this year and certainly through most of uh, 2018 are now beginning to flatline and perhaps unemployment really is moving in the wrong direction and the kind of acceleration we saw in wage growth that the Bank of England a month or so ago was starting to get quite agitated about it now mm. seems that they may have peaked as well so again consistent this idea of some sort of a slowdown now what does this mean uh, for the pound, I think there's. If I, I have one question for you, Jeremy, <laughs> is that we don't know if it's really going to go up or down depending on headlines and stuff. But we, 
we do know it's going to go up and down. I mean, is there a, a, a way to play this volatility uh, specifically in well, the pound? I'll tell you what, you can ignore the numbers um, and just look what's going on with good old Brexit because this week is going to be important. And indeed, it should be said, if you had bought sterling against pretty well any currency under the sun uh, last Thursday, then you'd be sitting on a very tidy profit because people might have noticed that some comments came out from uh, the UK and EU negotiators last Friday to the effect that, well, just a minute, perhaps we can secure a deal this week after all. Now, that really came completely you know, left of field because no one was anticipating this. It seemed until then that the two sides were far away from reaching any sort of a trade agreement as possible. But all of a sudden, you know, perhaps we can get a deal. And we've seen the pound reaching where I was. We talk now on sterling euro, we're trading, what, just under 1.155. And that's going to be, what, best part of a five or even a six-month high. We've seen three-month highs against the dollar as well. And this has nothing to do with the economic numbers. It's pure Purely and simply, the markets assuming that either A, there's a better chance now that we can actually get a deal, which is what they really want to see, or B, if they're not going to get a deal, then it's increasingly likely that Boris Johnson, despite what he says, will have to ask for some kind of an extension. And that to the markets is so much better than the absolute worst case, which is leaving the European Union on Brexit Day, supposedly the 31st mm -hmm. of October. Mm -hmm. So this week, then, I mean, as things as, as we talk, as things currently stand, supposedly uh, we've got the sort of the technocrats discussing some of the details of a revised proposal regarding this dreaded Irish backstop. And without going into all the details of that, it's still far from clear it can go through. But if the two sides can agree today, and literally we're talking mm. today, what Tuesday, fifteenth of fifteenth of October, mm. that's the kind of mini deadline they've initiated with a view to allow. Uh, ambassadors and um, the statistics guys to talk to the individual heads of state to brief them on it and then they'll decide at the upcoming EU leaders meeting this Thursday and Friday whether or not they're prepared to agree to it. Now if they agree then it goes across to UK Parliament and on Saturday we're going to have a special parliamentary session over here mm -hmm. what they're calling Super Saturday and for people in like history, this will only be the fourth time that Parliament has sat on a Saturday since the Second World War, which gives you an idea of just how, how important it is to decide at the end of the day what they think about what this European Union, European Leaders Summit says on Thursday and Friday. Hmm. Now, I think at this stage that... I think most of the so-called smart money, whatever that really means, is on the view that there's simply not enough time left now to actually get a deal through. Um, just because of the technicalities involved and the legal legal jargon and everything else has got to be sorted out. Mm -hmm. So it's probably going to be extension time. But were they to get it through, then I don't know. I mean, there's no guarantee that Parliament over here would sign off on it. It depends how much Boris Johnson's had to give away. But of course, if they were to sign off it, then going back to your question five minutes ago about you know, how do you trade the pound? Well, the pound will probably go through the roof on the back of that. Um, if there's no deal, of course, as you mentioned, then ultimately Johnson is supposed to ask the European Union for another extension. And it's down to the EU to decide whether or not they want to do that. Mm. Wow. It's, and it's all going to come to a fore right this week. 
Well, in theory, I mean, I think, um, you know, we talked about crunch time in this Brexit process for how, on how many occasions I've really lost count. But it seems to me what, what you can definitely say as things currently stand is that neither side wants this thing to, you know, to keep running on and on and on and not getting anywhere. So worst case, I think, for most people would be a no deal Brexit, the pound falls out. That's bad for the UK, bad for the European Union. But much better than that would be if they have to do it in extension, but they don't want to do that either. So I think there will be a big push to try and get a deal sorted before October the 31st. Now, they talked about this week as being kind of a deadline in the sense that this is the last scheduled EU leaders meeting to agree whatever this deal might be. But in theory, since we're not out for another was it 16 days or so yet they could perhaps schedule emergency eu leaders meetings sometime for next week so i think although people are looking at this week's meeting as being crunch time it may be more of a crumble time and perhaps the real crunch comes you know over the course of the next fortnight or so okay so continued i'm afraid it's disappointing if you're an economist and want to talk about numbers it's still very much a case over here of looking at the good old politics yeah, and speaking of which, there's really no chance then of a uh, the Brexit uh, being reversed. That seems to be on its final path uh, somehow. Whether a, a a violent or a or a mild uh, impact will be happening. I'd, well, uh, if, again, to be honest, I, I think it's unlikely it will be reversed. But it's got to be said. Let's assume that there's no agreement between the UK and the EU. Um, this week. Um, We do ask for an extension, which the European Union says, okay, reluctantly, we don't really want to do it, but we don't want a no-deal Brexit. So yes, we grant an extension through to, I don't know, January, June, wherever it may be, uh, in 2020. After that has happened, there will be, well, during the process of that, there will be a UK election. Currently, the UK government has, well, about a minus 40 majority. So basically, it can't get anything through Parliament because it doesn't have enough MPs. So this Parliament really is just, is, just doesn't function anymore. So there's going to have to be a general election. And that ultimately, I suppose, will determine the fate of Brexit. If it turns out that the you know, effectively the anti-Brexit folks do sufficiently well mm-hmm. to actually call a second referendum, uh-huh. Then, and that were to go through, then, of course, Brexit itself could simply be, well, that's it. We don't want to leave anymore. Okay. And the UK can unilaterally decide it doesn't want to leave. So uh, so if it's Labour, uh, they would be running on a platform that uh, we, we would have a referendum to reverse the first referendum? They would do. And certainly if they were to go in, say, um, coalition uh-huh. with the likes of the, the Liberal Democrats, whose whole policy now is about we want a second referendum. Uh-huh. The Scottish Nats would certainly want a second referendum. Uh-huh. So, again, you know, it's still after three years where it is now and the rest. We still uh-huh. don't know what's going to happen because almost all eventualities are still possible. <laughs> Ain't that helpful to tra- <laughs> traders of the pound? All right. Um, anything else you'd like to add from your side about any states uh, numbers we should be aware of apart from? Well, let's see here. We way? have retail sales coming up tomorrow. Let me just give you the our latest uh, forecast. Um, we are looking at a modest, uh, moderate uh, rates of growth, uh, two point, uh, 0.3 uh, in the different uh, um, readings. Uh, they vary uh, very much, but that, that seems to be the... Um, which would be a, a, a solid result. Um, 
uh, and would point to continued uh, dependence on the uh, U.S. economy from domestic consumption. Um, it would be in place if that is somehow uh, higher than expected uh, or lower than expected. And, then, and the range is pretty narrow on the headline from 0.1 on the low end to 0.5 on the high end. Um, so all the forecasters are kind of clumped into this pocket. Um, it could be we could get a surprise. Uh, certainly, uh, job growth has been slowing, and, and like I was saying, job openings are down. And that's really the fundamental support for uh, consumer spending. Um, so, uh, But right from here, it doesn't look like any anything um, too dramatic. And then following that, we're going to get industrial production on Thursday, and there the consensus is for uh, declines, negative signs, but that would follow uh, uh, outside jumps uh, in the prior month. But overall, the trends for this for this uh, report, industrial production, has been like other uh, industrial production reports across the globe. I mean, it's just been a gradual slowdown, uh, and um, uh, so the negative signs might be overstating it on Thursday, but I think behind the scenes, it's definitely going to be uh, less demand for manufactured goods. Okay, fair enough. And I suppose you mentioned out of Europe, it's not the most important uh, week for numbers, but we did get the industrial production data out the Eurozone as well um, yesterday. That showed a 0.4% increase uh, month on month for August, but because uh, the rest of the, the previous months have been so soft, um, effectively it means that we're going to need a, a September, monthly September increase of at least 2.6%, which is extremely improbable if the sector is not going to recession. Well, that's it. So tell us about GDP in the third quarter. I mean, what's the outlook here? Are, is it going to be uh, a negative? Well, Eurozone, I think on the on the way it's going at the moment, I think you, you know, look at everything we have. Obviously, there's not a lot of hard data, so we're still having to rely upon uh, quite a lot of the surveys. But you know, consistent with what the surveys are saying, I guess you're talking about something about zero. I think there's some calls for about 0.1%, but it's got to be said, if we don't see a decent IP figure, I think, for September, then the idea of a negative number is you know, you've got to take seriously. And does that have political repercussions, big ones in, in Europe? Is this a, a head, major headline for, for people? It could be. I think, yes. I mean, I think were we to see a negative handle on GDP, then although you know, at the end of the day, if you stand back and think, well, there's not a lot of difference between minus 0.1 and 0.0%, psychologically, um, it is important because it's going to make you know big media headlines. And that, I suspect, the net of that would be it's going to increase pressure, not so much on the ECB because they've kind of done their bit uh, last month, um, but it will increase pressure, I think, on governments generally just to start reflating and spending more or, or cutting taxes. Mm. Okay, um, that's submit a part I should mention in terms of numbers out of China this week. Do keep an eye on Thursday and Friday when we'll get GDP, industrial production and retail sales there as well, because clearly whatever happens to China these days has implications for the rest of the world, too. Okay, so let's end it there then for Mark and myself. Thanks as listening as always. We'll be back next week. And in the interim, remember to keep up to date with all the key economic indicators and market events in the Canada's global economic calendar. Bye for now.